This is a bonus episode of the podcast, Six Weeks from Broke, uh, with my good friend and Perth comedian, Chris Pacillo. Chris Pacillo is originally from South Africa. He's a very, very funny guy. He's uh, also a, um, a great partner and he's a, he's a father, something which is very difficult to do in comedy, but he just keeps getting better and better and keeps getting it done. Um, we talk a lot of things on this podcast. We talk about uh, starting out comedy and it's just funny in general, but uh, most of all, Chris has had a loss in the family. He's someone has passed away very close to him and he touches on and talks about what it's like to try and do comedy about those subjects when you're probably not ready or you're trying to just use it as a coping mechanism. A very, very, very interesting chat. And it's it's just super important to know that life goes with what comedians do. And sometimes when you bomb a new joke or a, a bit that's close to you, it really, I don't know, is it good or bad? It doesn't, it's a really interesting chat. I hope you enjoy it. Hey team, Jared Gowndry here. I'm six weeks away from being broke. If you think quitting all your jobs to make money solely from jokes and being creative is absolutely crazy, you'd be correct. Enjoy the episode. Just, just, just keep talking because I'll just edit the fuck out. Like I'll just pick up a bit. So it doesn't matter like how long... Um, we go for and say, what the fuck were we talking about before? When uh, you first started, you had uh, five minutes on eggs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude. Like, look, we all have these bright ideas. You know, we we're just talking about the length of time in comedy because we were saying I saw Tom Ballard, I think, in 2015, I want to say, but I could be wrong. Mm. Uh, yeah, when he was um, doing the Melbourne Comedy Roadshow, that was out in Geraldton. And then I haven't seen him since in that we were just talking about how eight years, like what would that add to a comedy career? And so you were saying he was, he was amazing in 2015. Yeah. So I can't imagine how, how good he is now. And then we were just talking about our own, our own limping stunted careers. <laughs> so, but I first met you at some like fucking horrendous, I'm pretty sure from memory it was some like horrendous open mic in Perth. Dude, it was the Bassendine Hotel. Oh yeah. The Flying Camel. Um, Ziggy, mm. if you're listening, thanks for putting on a great gig. A lot of us appreciate <laughs> it, but there were times there when it stunk up. But. Oh my God. It stunk so bad that they had to shut down the pub and renovate the whole building. <laughs> <laughs> and there was always just like one table of like, there was a family there that were had varying sort of levels of incest that would always come every week and just like grunt at you and stuff. Have you ever seen them? Yeah, I don't want to comment. They're loyal <laughs> fans. They're good people. <laughs> um, so I met you there and then we we're just talking about material and just the stupid things that you do just when you start because you don't know what the fuck's going on. Yeah. Right? You just try to make something out of nothing and you did like, what, five five minutes talking about... Eggs, like, just all egg-based jokes. <laughs> like, just, I remember you talking about one was like so boiled so hard that it used to bounce or something. Is that my memory sorted? For I have no idea because I've actually tried to look for that uh, set in my Google Docs. I was like, ah, oh, is there anything? Have I got any egg material I could salvage? <laughs> gonna, gonna <laughs> resurrect the yeah, famous just egg bring, set. Reel it in. Yeah, yeah. Something about a fucking disgruntled chef yes. jerking off into the mayonnaise or something. Yes. <laughs> And it was it getting mixed results from memory, yeah? Yeah, but well, the thing is, like, when you first start out, you, you are quite shit, obviously, because you do, I don't know, there, there seems to be, like, this uh, trend between females go, like, hypersexual when they first start out, yeah. and then dudes just go, like, hyper-controversial. Yes, So it's yes. like, trans people, pedophilia, trans people, <laughs> incest, rape. And you're just hitting all the bases and the audience is just there like shell-shocked, like Jesus Christ. 
<laughs> and there's just some 23-year-old kid just trying to be their idols who are obviously 20, 30 years into the game and know yeah. how to handle these hot topics, you know? Yeah, but the Bill Boy will be like, do 15 minutes on like one story about about whatever, like feminism, and he, and he plays it back and forth and he lays the groundwork and he pulls you in and he teases you and then he put... put but you're trying to cram like 40 topics into five minutes, so you just <laughs> you scream in the highlights at this poor <laughs> bewildered group of people. It's fucking horrific. <laughs> Honestly. And you're right, and then female comedians go hypersexual. Yeah, and it's I'm an like, absolute slut, love the cock, and it's just like, do you, really? Like, I don't know what's... <laughs> Because uh, it takes a long time to get the nuance of comedy. Oh, for sure, dude. But but That's then, the part. so like, so then what happens is you slowly chip away at it and you whittle it down, and then you do your first good five minutes, and you're like, whoa, yeah, I can do comedy now. That, now I can just write a whole five minutes on eggs because I know comedy. That first set that goes well is something is really beautiful, right? Yeah, it's, but it's it just and then you just go because sometimes it happens to people the first time. And then sometimes it takes 10 gigs for other people. Because um, I always like that person that's sort of four gigs in and they've never bombed. They're mm. fucking mm. invincible. And then the bomb hits them and it really hurts. Or they like, they have, they love comedy. They're writing all the time. And it's like, yeah, yeah, I've, I've been doing really well at these open. Where have you done them? Oh, at the comedy club, they open. Like, oh, yeah, the room's full. Like the professional MC, the killer. Yep. Like, like you a, know you. An actual crowd. Yeah. With an actual comedy venue. Yeah, dude. Like you should do it on a fuck, standing on a milk crate at the Bassendine Hotel. Should do what I did last night. <laughs> three people in the audience? Yeah, dude. It was three people in the audience, upstairs, downstairs, musical karaoke. Love it. Which is way better than comedy. Oh, mate. I'm, I just basically chatted to three people for six minutes. Not many people that don't do comedy uh, find it hard to wrap their head around this, but doing three people is way harder than doing 300. Oh, my God, of course, dude. It's insane. 300 people, there's fucking, like, just mathematically, if you're getting two-thirds of them, 200 people are laughing, and that's enough. Yeah, for sure. And then you can just build momentum. Yeah. Like, the psychology of comedy is such a big thing. If it's a dark room, everyone's facing the right way, everyone's there for comedy. It's, It's amazing that comedy is so fickle that anything can derail it. Oh, like man. I can walk into a gig and be like, "This lights bro, this lights fucked. This there's no stage. This is going to go bad." And it's not about my art; it's about the room. And it's like, what does that say about us? Oh, like, man. oh, how was the gig? It was fucked because the people were a meter apart. Yeah, <laughs> but it's also it's like it affects you personally. Like you bomb and you're like, "Oh, the fucking eggs taste shit." The next morning, your partner gets on your tits. Like, where you crush it and you're like, I don't care, babe, leave your laundry lying around. Fuck these eggs. Woo, I'm, in, I'm invincible. I'm a god. Um, you're from South Africa originally. Yeah. Whereabouts in South Africa for the people listening? Just south of uh, Durban in a tiny little town called Amanzim Toti. And actually, I grew up just south Amanzim Toti? Amanzim Toti. Amanzim Toti. So, Amanzi is water in Zulu. So, like, the legend has it that the king of the Zulu dudes knocked into our little homestead. Uh, took a drink out of the river and said it was the sweetest water he ever had. So that's what our town is called, the Mansum Toady Sweetwater. Sweetwater, there you go. When did you come to Australia? 2012-ish. What was the, that first couple of years? How old were you in, how old were you in 2012? Like 24-ish. Oh, so you came as an adult. 
what was your loosely defined i think i've only reached adult status in the last month or two what sort of the that first couple of years in australia what was the biggest sort of cultural change slash difference that you noticed man dude it was i was like shell-shocked because i spent a year here on a working holiday visa then i left for like another like six or seven months while we were trying to sort out visas and honestly i wanted to stay in south africa and i wanted to bring shireen and my our kid to back to south africa which thank god in hindsight sanity prevailed and i didn't do um but yeah, when it was, you say you thank God, why? Why? Because that? there's no hope in South Africa. There's no opportunity. There's like there's corruption that's so endemic that like potholes don't get fixed and things like that. You know, it's just, and you're not in the elite to really exploit it. Yeah, yeah. I have nothing against corruption. I just am uh, annoyed about which side of it I'm on. <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah, and that exists for all of us. Yeah, we're we're, we're upset until we're on the right side. Yeah, yeah for sure. If uh, if anyone's listening, if I if I can. Take a kickback to do anything for you, please. Reach out. <laughs> so you come to Australia, and then what? What? What's the big um, sort of standout? How of fucking atrociously litigious the whole society is. Yeah, it's so unbearable. Like in South Africa, you kind of just do what you want, and the police are just like a peripheral, like speeding tickets. When I left South Africa the last time, I, I stayed too long at breakfast with my mother, and I had to get to the airport. I was doing about 100 kilometers per hour down the street. <laughs> and I got pulled over by a policeman and, and I just gave them fake details, basically. Yeah. Gave them my ID number, but like just a fake address, a fake, all this. And she just took it, gave me a ticket. I got over the hill, threw it out the window and just carried on driving at the same speed to the airport. You know, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas like here, I brought that same attitude to Perth and the train guy gave me a ticket and I just scrumpled it up and threw it away and like three months later, my license was cancelled. <laughs> and I was like, what the fuck? Why did the, the police pay attention? <laughs> Fucking hell. <laughs> yeah, if you don't pay like a, like in Victoria, we call it like a Mikey fine, then you can have yeah. a bad credit rating and you can't get... A house loan and stuff. Dude, yeah. I got on the the train from the airport with my friend and I put my feet up on the pole and he's like, do not do that. Like, slap yeah, my foot yeah. off. Like, he got fined 270-some dollars for having his foot on a pole. It's so the rules. Rules are the big one. We just, oh, my Jesus and we just live And we just live it and think that it's a good thing? Yeah. It's it's very weird. I think, like, if you, if you break the rules as well... People always assume it's because you're antisocial, which is, an, is another thing in, in Perth, I find. Okay. Okay. But like, Explain. just... Um, like, I took a pen from the post office. Like, you know, at the, at the post office window, for example. Where, they, where, where you're filling out yeah, your details Yeah, I took a pen... Oh, they're free games. ...to a bench, no? wrote stuff on it, like, and then a few more people moved in the line. And then I came to the front and I put the pen down and I turned to get something and I looked up and she'd taken the pen and put it away. Like, cause I <laughs> removed it and then she like, her rapport changed completely. Like she was helpful and happy. And then like Frank and Kurt, because I'd taken the fucking pen away. And I'm like, did you want to grow up? You fucking mole. Which is a beautiful Australian word. So I am integrating into the culture. How long have so you been, was, we're sitting what, 10 years now. Yeah. yeah about that. You feel yeah. Australian? Or do you think you do you think you ever can? No. Yeah. No. I like. I, I love this place, dude. It gave me a lot. Uh, I'm forever grateful to it. You know, I pay tax. That's as good as it's gonna get. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm, you're still stealing pens. Yeah, bro, ruthlessly. I even suggested to my friend. I was like, you know what? They find you two hundred and seventy-five dollars. Hey, one of the nuts. Do you want to just eye up a piece of infrastructure worth two hundred and seventy-five dollars and steal it? 
I mean, a bench or something like fucking. Yeah. Let's let's sort of <laughs> let's get get the system back. Yeah, for sure, bro. How old are you now? Thirty-five. You're Thirty-five. So far too late to be embarking on a career in the arts. Well, I mean, I don't agree with that theory of thought. You know, I'm thirty-six, and I, I've never. Th- I mean, I always look back on the famous story that Rodney Dangerfield reinvented himself and became famous at fifty-nine. Yeah, and I, just, I always, I think this art form especially doesn't really date. You know, if if there's that that old grandma lady in Perth, that comedian. Old grandma lady, She's Jill, like, Jill, Jill, the Scottish Terrier. No, 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 no. <laughs> That's immediately Jill, who I Jill, thought I was like, She's going to murder us. I know you're listening. <laughs> I'm speaking to you directly now. He didn't mean to say that. He doesn't know what he's doing. He's new to the country, just like you. And, uh, <laughs> no, she's like 75 or 85. Yeah, Jill. <laughs> Jill, Jill. <laughs> he doesn't know what he's doing. Um no, anyway, there was a comedian around a couple of years ago. It might have been just when you were... Oh, Leonie uh, Clark, maybe? Correct. That's her name. She, yeah. How old is she, 80? I don't know. She just uh, f- like finished up like a month before I started, I think. I don't know if she's still gigging, but she I haven't seen her. She was fucking hilarious, man. Yeah, probably. And crushing it, like for that time that she did. And I think embarking on a career... You know, I'm, I'm very philosophical, philosophical about the art. I like the art. I like the journey. I'm about the pursuit, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think 35 is the greatest age to do it because you've lived a life. Yeah. It's funny it's funny how that happens though because you you never really think you lived a life because these are just things that happen and you were there and, or, or like experiences you went through. But then you tell people and they're like, holy shit, dude. It's like... Yeah. It's like... Like yeah. I... And it's because we, I don't know, we all have odd sense of humor. Like, I just veer left into the darkness, like, straight away. That's my sense of humor. <laughs> yeah. Like, I agree. Yeah. I don't know. Do you want an example? I'll tell you a story. Like, give it to me. Like, when I was a nipper, I remember, like, my, my parents used to fight a lot and shit, right? And there was one particular evening when, like, my parents had had some, like, fight. So my mom, my sister, and I had, like, fled to my grandmother's house. And we, my dad was trying to get to us for some, I can't remember why, but we'd locked ourselves in the bathroom and he was like smashing the bathroom door. And we were like huddled up in the corner of the bathroom. And my mom goes, guys, quick, let's get in the bath. And that was like her solution. And I find that so hysterically funny. Like, I don't think, what are we going to do? Draw the shower curtain? Like, this is the most fucking... But in her mind, and I just remember us, like, climbing into the bath. And it's like, as if that would be like, okay, some, something uh, to do. <laughs> you bloody got you me. You vexed me. Oh, you woman with your wily ways. There are, you're in the bath now. I guess I'll just go. <laughs> um, this is a conversation you and I have had um, multiple times but you it, describe to me what it feels like. You've got a you've got a partner. You've got a child. I've always come across in our conversations that you feel that like you're on kind of a deadline to make something of yourself in this industry. Is that is that an accurate statement? It's not necessarily in this industry. I mean, if like COVID just taught anyone anything, it's just that like your time is so valuable. Like you just uh, like I just turn around. I'm 35. I've just been doing things I don't really care about for money, which I also like, you know, you need it. I can't, I'm not like some sort of like hopeless dreamer. I know you need money, but it's just, yeah, I don't know. You only have so many years to do things, to be alive. And, and then you just die, you know? Yeah. So yeah. if I can get on with it, bro. Like, so that's where the urgency comes from, really. You got to do what you want at all times because yeah. it's kind of meaningless, but it's also meaningful for you. 
Yeah, for being sure. listed within the grand scheme of things, right? And also, like, comedy is a long game, right? So you have to put your 10,000 hours in. You've got to do six minutes to three people at Bertie's Comedy Jam. Thanks, Andrew Portilli. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you've got to do 10,000 hours in five-minute chunks. You literally have no time to lose. That's why I'm crowd working the checkout girls at Coles and shit, dude. It's like... What's it like to um, have the family and then to work all day... And then say, hey, baby, I've got to go out. I've got this five-minute spot for no money. Because I've, I've been there heaps of times. And it's, and it's weird and it's something that civilians don't understand, right? That you're replacing time that could be somewhere else with time that's in a pursuit. And uh, I've always found civilians who don't do comedy just can't wrap their head around that. But I don't think it's unique to comedy, dude. There's loads of like CEOs who like have to go to the office. I guess, I guess they get a financial reward out of it. Um, but there's loads of people who throw themselves into something at the expense of the relationships they should be having with other people. Mm. And they always regret it in the end, I guess. But who knows? Like, uh, it's tough. It's a tough negotiation. I mean, I just, I try to do other things, like be present when I'm at home. I'm like as bad as anyone else with my phone, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, I love comedy, so I can just watch comedy and yeah. be, be happy. But um, yeah, you just try to be present and you try to communicate honestly about it. But. At the end of the day, it's, it's, I mean, to be an artist, you've got to be a little bit selfish, I think, because especially comedy, like or any art, like if you've got to say, hey, members of the public, all of you, a bunch of you, heaps of you, look at this and pay me money for this thing I did. Absolutely. It's like, I mean, it's, I'm, I'm struggling with this at the moment. I'm so busy with all of the things that I'm doing, you know, I'm making a, a, a livable, um, wage in a creative sense but my relationships are of struggling you know my fringe friends oh yeah sure I, my circle's becoming um smaller just as i get along because i'm just so busy which is something i don't like but starting to get to the point where i'm seeing only a, just a bunch of friends which i love and adore only kind of when i'm doing a comedy festival show like i see them all roll through and it's amazing and i love having that drink after the show with them but i'm, I'm starting to miss the little things of life. Do you know what I mean? Uh, yes and no, I guess. But also when you hang out, when you become more into comedy, all you want to do is hang out with comedians. Yeah, well, it's like... Because they're the funniest people in the world, right? Yeah, well, you hang around with normal people and they just bomb. <laughs> they bomb. <laughs> and you can say anything to a comedian and it's fine. Yeah, you're at a dinner party and you're like, uh, I don't know. Like, the, uh, who's it? Mark Norman was telling a story. About <laughs> bomb. Yeah, well, he was at a, at, a, at dinner with his girlfriend and a bunch of friends, and he and he opened a can of like virgin cola and it fizzed all over the place. And he went, "Oh, it's not a virgin anymore!" <laughs> and they were all just like looking at him. And yeah. he was like, "It's the, the, the dumbest joke, but it's like, yeah, they wouldn't have even connected it to actual virginity. Like it's just, <laughs> I don't know." And you're like making all these weird, and especially if you're like a darker comedian, you know what I mean? It's just like, yeah. Well, talking to comedians is is so fun because any topic is it doesn't matter. Yeah, like we don't care. For we sure. might appear that we care sometimes to protect our own careers, but when behind all the closed doors, when it's just just a couple of comics, like you can you can talk. I've talked about death and you know my friends dying with, and we've all just had a laugh, right? Yeah, dude. We've connected like a weird dot. Is that what you find? 
You yeah. like that about the like comedy? I absolutely love it, dude. Because it all- I do that in my head anyway. So like, I, I, when I found comedians and comedy, I was like, jeez, it's like thank God it wasn't just me. Because fuck, because like, <laughs> I've been because I've been like this my whole life. Dude. Like ah. everything, I've been just constantly. But like, you get like punched in the nose fucking every so often when you're a kid because you have a smart mouth, right? Yeah. And then, like, you enter the workplace and you get frowned upon and you, like, get talked to. So you start to modulate yourself and you push all the stuff down. And you're like, well, maybe I just don't have a place in the world. Maybe I'm just, like, I guess I just... And then that's where, like, you start to get depressed, right? Because you're pushing all this stuff. Like, that's where your creativity pops out. Like, I just have a creative way of making fun of trauma, I guess, which is... That's an interesting point that you make about the connection between repressed creativity and depression. Yeah, for sure, right? Like, I had a kind of meltdown, like a burst into tears in a meeting with my boss and shit. That's not good. Because you were not super your true like, self? Yeah, pr- probably, because I was super just just depressed. I don't know, just in, in a dead-end thing that I realised, like, I just didn't care about. I have this argument with... I just had this argument with my friend before I left the, his apartment. He's like, yeah, but you just sell your time for money. It's a means to an end. Like... Uh, sometimes you just can't, like some people it's not wired like that I guess that was Correct. me yeah, so some I people did can't that. do the means like they're, they're, they yeah. want the end but the means is hard is, is harder than others right well the means it gets to the point where it's not worth the end I think correct and that's when you have to make a decision when you're like okay well I'm just gonna do this comedy thing and I could fail and I could like die in a state house <laughs> on the dole with absolutely nothing, having only ever crushed a couple of open mic gigs, or like I could succeed. I don't know. But it depends what you put value on. And yeah, what you, for sure. What you define as rich. Yeah, yeah. Because I was depressed. Like before I did comedy, I was depressed. Yeah, for like sure. I've had massive amounts of depression years ago. And since I opened myself and gave myself to the creative process in every element, I. It's like the world's most powerful drug. Yeah, dude. And like my life has never been more precarious. Like I have never been more worried about things. I have never been happier. Mm, yeah. <laughs> I took three. I uh, had, it was about two. I had two weeks off um, comedy. I took like a holiday. Oh, mate. And uh, about three days in, I had like a little weird kind of like panic. So on. is that like completely no notebooks, no socials? Um. I mean, I was still doing a little bit of booking because I just wanted, I didn't want to lose the, like, the two weeks. When I came back, I wanted to have stuff going mm. on. Um, but I was like, so I wasn't gigging and I was just relaxing because I'd come off like three months of, I probably did a hundred shows in three months, right? And um, about three days in, I started to freak the fuck out. <laughs> I was like, oh God, what's going on? And it took me um a good couple of days after identifying the freak out to be like no this is good i'm not abandoning what i'm doing this isn't me fucking not doing it just chill it chill out yeah and relax and then i've been able to come back stronger but yeah because i'm terrified of having <clears throat> that sort of existence coming back that yeah. depressive like like crying in the work meeting like that's the fucking worst thing that can happen <laughs> to someone i mean it was so so embarrassing um but I feel like that you can. How many hang over? Like little put a little bookmark. Out. How many people were in this meeting? Just two. Yeah, and would you just boom, just burst out? Yeah, I was just, I just lost it, dude. I was just fucking under under a lot of pressure. Uh, but self self imposed, like freaking out about whether I'm like valuable in this thing. I'm not. 
yeah, just, just, just all self-imposed pressure. It's like all in your head. You know, it's like how they say, like when you want to have a difficult conversation with someone and then you play it out in your head, like you create the pressure of this and the worst case scenario in your head before you have the conversation. Fucking oath, man. It's like, which that's, is so I mean, that's anxiety dumb. 101. But it's like essentially <laughs> like, the, I heard uh, some women say like, think about it like this. Like you would never take two dolls and interact a conversation with two like dolls. Like why are you doing that exact thing in your head? It's like, it's yeah. the most insane childish thing. Just go and talk to someone. And we are like the, uh, the best at writing narrative when it comes to imagining those things too. Mm. So you're like, oh my God, this person thinks this, or this is the opinion of someone. And then you like, you write that book, you write the sequel, you write the trilogy, and then you go mm. and write the Hobbit as well. And then it's just like, and then you talk to someone about the whole thing and you're like, none of, oh wait, none of that's real. Yeah. Which is not to take anything away from the works of Tolkien. Great author. <laughs> <laughs> the original, <laughs> the original anxiety. Yeah, that's it for sure. Um, so being being creative, so that's for you pursuing that. So let's let's talk about you crying in that. Um, work well, it wasn't Is that, that kind right. of a rock bottom? Yeah, probably. But but, but I was doing. I wasn't because nothing is more infuriating than people being depressed and doing nothing about it. Yep. So like, I wasn't doing nothing about. I'm a very like can doish dude, which it has its own problems sometimes because. Um, Sometimes people don't want solutions. They want comfort, which is another thing I've just learned of, of a couple of podcasts. But let's just say I went to, I was at a therapist and I was like, the therapist said to me, like, what do you do? What do you do for yourself? And I was like, well, you know, I make the money, I pay the bills, I raise the kid, she goes to school, I, you know, what do you mean? And she's like, no, no, that's all like. It's all like what? by and by. It's like your function, but what do you actually do to sustain yourself personally? And I was like, I have no idea. But then I dabbled in comedy back in 2015 when I was living regionally. There's a great, great guy in Geraldton called Julian Canny. Shout out. Do you know them? No. Great dude, man. He ran a thing called the Comedy Emporium. So he would have like weekly writers things. Are they still, <coughs> are they still going? I think he's focused more on like community events at the minute. So mm. it's like it's. I think it's morphed into Emporium Creative. We're looking at the analytics. There's uh, there's six listeners in Geraldton. So if you are in the area, check out the Comedy Emporium. Yeah, it was Emporium Creative, but he's very well known in Geraldton. The Canny family. There's a bunch of them. There's a great uh, his uncle. I think is called Mark Canny. Great oh, guy. Perth comedian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know Mark. Yeah. Yeah, great guy. Um. But anyway, so she she was like, when when last did you feel like something creative or feel like you were making something worthwhile? And it was uh, pretty much then. So that's how I got back into comedy. So I was like, oh shit, you, you know, you need like go do that. And then I went to one open mic and two open mics and Ziggy's open mics and the Billabong. Did you ever do that? Yeah, many times. Fuck me. Well, like thirty people are brewing beers and clanking bottling machines <laughs> and you shouting over them and some knobhead drops the garage door and it's like. <laughs> And there's seven mechanics, it's and none like of them doing know. comedy in the final scene of Robocop. Like Jesus it's Christ. just hectic. And then you you could slowly feel just like the release. What? How does it feel going from that sort of like mental health rock bottom moment to having sort of you know sort of putting a pin in the blister of sorts and releasing the pressure? Yeah, it was just great, man. It's like, Can, did you identify it in the, in that moment, or is it more of a hindsight looking back? 
No, I think I identified it in that like that one particular therapy session. I highly recommend therapy. Go do it, people. Because then uh, she said in the therapy. Yeah, it was she. She. Um, yeah. So yeah. So before that, you just had no idea of where your life was wanted to be or go at all. It was just grind day in day out. Pressure, pressure, pressure. Yeah, well, it got to the. It's like it's. I'm like also quite philosophical, so about about things. So it just it gets to the point where you're like saying, okay, what's the point? I keep like progressing, I keep getting these things. Okay, we've got all this money, but I'm giving away all my time. Like, what's the point? What is like? Am I going to get to fifty, sixty, and look back and be like, yes, this was worth it, or no, it wasn't worth it? And it's like I don't know. I would rather just fucking. Do as much comedy as possible and die at 55 Then just be like wealthy into my 80s, I guess It's like Amen, brother I feel exactly the same way Are you starting to feel pride now? I feel like I've watched your career from a distance So I get to see it without the work Which is nice, you know So I get to see the, I guess, the ticks in the box that you're doing I get to see the graph slowly rising I think you you know you're doing some good stuff. Last time I was in Perth, I think I was hosting the comedy club there, um, mm. which is a huge gig. Yeah, on the national scene, and oh, uh, you, you were performing in front of hundreds of people a night. Yeah, how does this make you feel? Going from I need to do something for me to now I'm doing something for others. Yeah, I, I didn't. I don't know. I didn't really think about it in that way because it's like uh, I'm also quite greedy about comedy, and that's one of the thing. That's one of the probably the chief signs about comedy uh, is that it's one of the only things where I've really felt personally ambitious about. Mm-hmm. Like uh, every other pursuit, I've just kind of like it's. It was just sort of money, and it was just like, oh, you got to do something. You know, this is a thing to get me money, to be able to drink a couple of beers, and to do another thing to get me money to, you know, it's like, it was just kind of going through the motions, but now comedy, I'm like actually like very ambitious about it. Like I want to do more. So like, that was great. The lounge, man, I really appreciate them. And I've been back once since that, which was great, but I'm like, I just want more and more and more, you know? And then obviously we're talking together now in Victoria on the other side of a continent. So that whole traveling to, find more opportunities is a part of that ambition yeah absolutely man just branching out like i went to bali and in june for my partner's birthday and uh, much to you her are a true australian now eh? chagrin <laughs> i shoehorned two gigs into that trip <laughs> she was like <laughs> sitting there in the hotel by the way <laughs> hey you can claim it on tax now can you think about that yeah yeah wow. if you're listening at, like i got a lot of uh, up-and-coming comedians Listening to this show, um, but don't you have to get paid? Well, if you have an ABN, right? Yeah, I do. And then you have a business, and mm-hmm. then you have costs that are involved in that business. So therefore, it runs as a loss. Then you can have tax offsets in other areas. Yeah, for sure, for so, sure. Like ways. we we have a little room over there, as you well know. I've I've heard of it. Yeah, is it? It's, it's a co- so it's a comedy Australian comedy room in Bali. Is that correct? No, no, that's the uh, comedy club that's run by a great dude who lives out in Bali called Chris Jacoby. Look him up, follow him. He's doing some great stuff out there. Um, but yeah, our little room in Perth, we have like an ABN and we just make sure we load it with losses, yep. you know, because we do. It's not like we load it with losses. I mean, like we spend every cent we make. I go there every night. I spend my time there. I don't take any money out of it. It's just comedy time. I mean, what, turning 
probably for me one of the uh, one of the things the keys to that was treating myself in a business sense like a pro, which meant all of these things like receipts and costs and all this sort of stuff. You know, like that's if you if I was a plumber that had one van, like it kind of works the same way. Mm, sure, I need to. You know, if I'm going to a gig, there's there's fuel that's involved. Like I'm I'm going to keep that shit because it's all part of the game, right? Claim yeah. a pair of Reeboks on tax because I wear them on stage. So Did like you a, really? Yeah, well, it's it's work, Yeah, you've right? got to have an... Imbi- Mate, that's... It's I, now. I used to be a real sloppy jalopy on stage, man. I, <laughs> I used to be terrible. Sloppy jalopy. <laughs> oh, man, I used to just have like the unkept bush of hair, which can lend itself to certain characters. Yes, I bloody remember that. Yeah, I was just like a hobo, bro, but yeah, now... You're like a, yeah, you're like a mushroom. Yeah, I've straightened up, I've like neatened up, I pay attention, I wear like at least like, you know, decent clothes. I buy like, have a, have like stage shoes, which are like just good shoes, which I only, I mean, all my other shoes, my dogs have kindly altered the corners of them with by chewing them and I skate in them. So like the fronts are all like worn, you know, that sort of thing. You look, good. You look good now. Before we wrap this up, I want to hear um, uh, what does your career look like at the 10 year mark? In your in your mind of minds, what do you? How does that feel? What does it like mean to you? What are you doing? Like, feel free to dream. Just dream out loud. Yeah, I mean, if, if ten years, if you're not headlining, that's that's pretty lackluster. I'd say I want to headline clubs. I want to have a rapport with 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 all the comedy clubs, so I can do that. So I can be able to headline and then be able to to do the fringe second. Man, I just want to live as much of the art as possible. I'd be as homeless as possible, you know. Um, <laughs> to be as homeless as possible. That's, yeah, um, to just be like, have no fixed abode. Just be following comedy around, you know. Uh, that's the title of the podcast right there. To be as homeless as possible. <laughs> um, tell me about your worst bomb. Worst gig you've ever done. Come on. And then, and then we're out of here. Uh, I'm just trying to think about it. Oh, man. I remember it was last fringe, man. It was a Sunday. Sunday gig. And like daytime, nighttime, uh, Sunday evening, and you know the circumstances around this last fringe festival for me. It was not great. My my dad passed away right at the beginning of it. I mean, it was a five week festival. I was involved in two shows. I had countless other spots. First weekend, my dad dies. So it's like, Jesus Christ. What does that um? What does that thought process look like? Um, when you're like, am I going to do this? You know, am I going to do these shows or not? Does the show go on or does the show stop? The show went on, dude. I didn't miss one show. Yeah, and you were determined to do that for yourself, for yeah, your for emotions. Sure. Were you keeping it together? No, just for myself. Like, I mean, dude, comedy is so so important to me. Like, I take it so seriously, and I was like, I will not be like broken by this. You know what I mean? That sort of thing. I was like, I will. Was it common knowledge to the people you were performing with? I told it all of them. Yeah. Yeah, I told all of them. They were all pretty cool about it, yeah. But yeah, so I found out on a Monday morning because he died on a Sunday afternoon and the time difference, you know. So then, and I did shows from Tuesday, two shows on Tuesday. Did that help? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I was like a mess around it. Like I was like crying on the way to the gig, sprucing myself up in the bathroom, doing some comedy. Walking out, chucking on a smile. Yeah. Doing some gags. Yeah. But so it was quite taxing. On the way home, yeah? 
Yeah, but also, so you know, my material has like a bit of a dark bend sometimes. Mm-hmm. So like, I've, uh, I don't know how what you want to get into, it, but you have to kind of like have an attitude or persona that like is in opposition to your flaw. So my flaw is that I'm sometimes like amoral and unsentimental. So like the attitude and the character has to be like happy-go-lucky enough so that it's absurd, you mm-hmm, know, mm-hmm. and that gets the laughter. Because if you're like dour and serious and also unsentimental and amoral, then people think, hey, this guy's just a piece of shit. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. like <laughs> every yeah. now and then. That's some um, fucking outstanding advice. Yeah. yeah. Write that down if you're listening. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's, 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 there's, I've read a couple of comedy books, so it's out there. There's a book called uh, How to Kill in Comedy, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which yeah. a great guy called Ant Mexes bought me for my birthday. Shout out to Ant Mexes. Um, <laughs> I think it's shout out number five if anyone's uh, counting, <laughs> counting at home. You need a, a buzzer or a bell or something. <laughs> ding, ding. <laughs> plug, a plug bell. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, so I got it completely wrong one sunday at like six o'clock how far into the festival is this how many weeks maybe three okay so and it was been going okay until then yeah obviously you're a mental wreck and an emotional and i'm not the best comedian dude like you know i'm a year and a half maybe by that point yeah yeah like just a year and nine months in pound for pound you're good so i don't i'm I'm as i get further along in comedy i'm not counting the years of people do i'm just counting the, the results well like i don't know i'm not i'm not the best comedian at that uh, right now but uh, but like back then i was like very material dependent you know like i couldn't read a room really like yeah. as uh, as well as i can now you know so so, so i've been just, going okay for a couple of weeks and yeah then i had some real highs and fringe a couple of off gigs but this one in particular i just picked it wrong my i wasn't i didn't Get myself in the mood personally. Was there, Did you go on after? Whereabouts in the lineup were you? I think I was second. The, the gig was going okay, or was it? Yeah, oh, it was, so it was no, going good. It, it was okay, just okay. So we had like Daniel Nielsen, who was like a happy-go-lucky Danish guy. Yep, and he is shout out strikingly handsome as well. So like <laughs> yeah, he he, is. he can get away with so much because he's so good looking. Um, <laughs> So he went on, he kind of went okay, and I just kind of picked, like, just my, my mood wasn't there, so, like, I didn't smile enough, I wasn't charismatic enough, and I just leaned into all the darker stuff, and I just got nothing, dude. Like, people... Zero, zero? Maybe a few titters and tatters, but it was, like, the brutal reviews afterwards. People left, like, some reviews on the show, like, I've seen the South African guy before, it's just dark for darkness's sake, ah. I don't know what's wrong with him, but maybe it's a timing issue. Like, I'm just like, ah. Because comedy's savage like that, right? Because you can look like anything and do comedy. So when they repudiate it, oh. it's like a strike against your very personal character. It's like yeah. your character is not good enough to do this art. Oh, so. yeah. Oh yeah, I've experienced it, that. It fucking cuts, sucks, bro. Oh, it is emotionally cuts, destructive. I um, and I, it's 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 hard to be immune by it. I'm not immune by it. I no. uh, I recently had a, a video that kind of went a little bit viral online, and um, you know, like 110,000 people liked it. There was like 8,000 comments, and I was having a scroll through the comments, and then I found a little bit halfway down, somebody just commented. Man, this guy's got a big dumb head. <laughs> and then like 700 people liked that comment. 
And then underneath that comment was like, yeah, man, it's really punchable. And then like, boom, 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 boom. And, and I, mean, I was fucking devastated. Yeah, dude, because you can't even like have your head shaven down like you can with other... <laughs> and it fucking hurts, man, right? And yeah. I'm just in a... I'm in a really good mental state when this <laughs> happens, right? So like you with everything that's going on, is this just like a fucking sledgehammer? Yeah, it was brutal, man. It was it was so bad. But you know what? I, I'm like also a big boy, so I was like, you know what? Fair play. I wasn't on it. I did like I, my attitude wasn't right. You know, it's 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 yeah. Comedy is a, a fucking difficult thing to get right. You know, oh, and yeah. it's the hardest we, thing I've ever done. Well, when you turn like that's the difference between a keen amateur and a pro. Right? It's a pro is that you have a product that delivers 100 percent of the time. You know what I mean? You can't like order packages from a company and only 80% of them turn up or 90% of them turn up. You know what I mean? Like you have to have mm-hmm. a fucking consistent yeah, product. Fucking, yeah, you that's know? really, really... Yeah, of course. If you were a delivery company and you had a... 80%. 50, yeah. yeah, you'd fucking be out of business, right? Yeah, but it's it's worse than not even 50. Like if you had a 90%, if one in 10 of your packages didn't make it, you still, you know, it's like... You're in diced. Yeah, that's... You have to be able to have bankable minutes, you know, that works. And then you have to be able to work them every time, which means if your cat dies, if your dad dies or whatever, you have to be able to park that summon the attitude you need for your material your character to work and perform you know dance monkey dance what was the biggest lesson taking away from the sledgehammer um bomb to adjust i guess it's the what do you call that like being present or being in the right energy like have you have you got any takeaways of that and how to prepare from then on yeah you have to is it like something? Is, do you talk through yourself? Is there a routine? What is? Or it? N- no, I, I get. I guess yeah. It's just it's just being conscious of that. Being conscious of the fact that you can't just walk up in whatever state you're in, no matter how good or bad the jokes are, and kill you know. But there was a, another comedian, but I don't want to risk another shout out, who gave me some amazing <laughs> advice. Um, who was like, instead of approaching any gig with like fear or trepidation or worry about whether it's going to work or not just take two or three minutes to be grateful that you get to do this gig and that is like the greatest advice i think i've ever received probably i was just it's just changed everything like i can just sit in the back or listening to fucking the hits of the of the 80s being belted out by drunken balance downstairs see three people on a couch and a microphone on stage and just be like you know what I love comedy, dude. and I get to just I get I get some minutes here. This is gonna be sick. Let's see what happens, you know. As opposed to like this is gonna be a horrific gig. Let me just get my minutes over with and get out of here. I'm not gonna get anything from this, you know. Just that whole attitude switch is just oh, it's, I cannot understate how much it, it's done for me. So being grateful, um, and I'm grateful for having you here. Thanks for joining me, man. No worries. Thanks for having me. Let's go get some lunch. <laughs>